But I want to start with this question, and you are the only one that can answer this question. In the midst of all that is going on, can you see Jesus clearly? Now, don't respond outward. It's not, it's, not about it, um, it's not about signaling to me that you're in the right place or the person, people around you. This is between me and God and you and God. In all that we're facing and all that is happening and all that is going on in our world right now, can you see Jesus clearly? Are your eyes fixed on Him? Now, I'm going to share from me. Again, I want you to just contemplate this in your heart and in your mind. And maybe if you're a family, think about what that looks like, is looking like in your family. So you, you keep contemplating that and hear me as I share my experience. My answer is no, my eyes are not always fixed on Jesus. Sometimes my eyes are fixed on the news, the media, and the information that we're being blasted with. Sometimes my my eyes are, are fixed on injustice and wrongdoing and the hurt and the destruction that we are doing to each other. Sometimes my eyes are fixed on the division. I keep reading John 17 and Jesus praying to the Father, please unify them like we are unified. Make them one. Because the division is not just in our culture. The division is in the body of Christ. It's in the church. And sometimes my eyes are fixed on that. Sometimes my eyes are, are fixed on my family and the impact on my family financially, what's happening in, in the economy and, and jobs and all that. And I find myself fixing on that. And you can substitute a different word. Fix is a nice word, right? But is the more what really is happening in my heart and in my mind. Do we have our eyes fixed on Jesus? Is our mind and our heart saturated with him it's amazing to me i'm i'm an old guy older guy now how is that fair i'm an older guy now and it's it's been it's been reinforced in my own journey so many times how easy it is to saturate our minds and hearts with the wrong things and how intentional it has to be if i'm going to saturate my heart and mind with jesus at some point in this journey, I thought it's going to be more natural, right? It's going to be easier. It's just going to, that's what I'm going to naturally gravitate to, Jesus and the truth. And it's not. I still find myself, you know, ooh, the train wreck, ooh, you know. I'm drawn, and, and the media and, and the different voices, and I, oh, I have an ear that just is drawn to that. It's easy to have our hearts and minds saturated with everything else but it has to be intentional. Say, well, this does, that, that's, that doesn't seem right, or what's wrong with you? Are you not really walking with God? Well, let me help you judge me a little bit less. Isn't it the same true of any significant relationship? Isn't it true of marriage? 30-something years, and we got 40, 50? Well, don't, don't, 48, 49. 48, and... Bob and Sharon, I think, are 49. So yesterday I saw these three couples, 150 years of marriage uh, <laughs> together. It still has to be intentional, doesn't it? It's still easy to, to saturate our minds and hearts with everything else, all the stuff of life. And if you're going to be intimate and love each other and walk together, if I'm going to do that with Becky, it has to be intentional. 
If we're going to saturate our mind and our heart with Jesus, it's an intentional step, steps daily that we have to take. We've been in the book of Luke this year, and our intent, our focus, our theme, if you will, has been to bring Jesus into focus. And so I bring you back to that question. Can you see him clearly? So, well, I don't see him in the mess that's going on. I love you. I hope you love me. But if you don't see him in the mess, it's in the, in the mess that's going on is because you can't see him clearly. You're not seeing him because he's there. He is there in the midst of the mess. He came and lived among us and he walked in the midst of the mess. Do you realize that? From the day he was born, he was in a, he was in a barn. He wasn't born in a palace and that set the tone for his life on this earth. Touching and healing the sick, fraternizing with sinners and the broken, healing the sick. You with me? He's in the midst of the mess. Wrap your head and your heart around the reality that the Creator is willing to be present in the middle of this mess. This, I love Shell, he loves me. That mess. You with me? If we're not seeing him, it's because we're missing it. It's maybe because our hearts and minds are not saturated with him so that we can recognize him when we see him. We need to, see, we need to recognize him so that we can see him. I wrote this down for me. You can write it down if it makes sense to you, but it's right here in my notes. I need to see Jesus clearly. Not what I want him to be, not what I want to make him into be, not that he's like me, I need to see him clearly in the myth, in the mess. And the only way I can do that is if my heart and mind is saturated with him. I need Jesus to stand out from all the other voices. I'm just going to confess that to you. You can agree with me if you're in the same place. I need to hear his voice above all the other voices. One of the things that's been grappling with in the last couple of weeks especially is there's a lot of voices that sound good that sound right and some of them are but I, I it hit me in, in and of myself I don't have the, the the ability the power to distinguish truth from half truth from falsehood because some of these voices make a really good case but that's the way I should go that's the way I should no wait wait no no this one sounds good too over here I need to hear the voice of Jesus above all other voices. I need to see him clearly, and I need to hear from him clearly. Now, if you're discouraged about this, and you say, yeah, that's where I'm at too, and what's the, what are we to do? I hope you picked up in the reading, the scripture reading that Michael read, things really haven't changed. Things were a mess then. Things were a mess then, and Jesus was in the midst of the mess. And much of the gospel of Luke is Jesus trying to help us see him clearly in the mess, in the hard times, in the difficult choices, when all else around us seems to be in conflict or in turmoil or collapsing. We left Jesus last week in Luke chapter 11. The end of the, the, the chapter says this, when he left there, when that moment was done and he left, you remember it was an encounter between him and the, the, the remember the whoa, 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 whoa? Did they like that? Did they receive that well? 
They did not. Go back and read it. Well, no, just read this with me. Verse 53 of chapter 11. When he left there, that moment was done. The scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely. Their re-election campaign just took a shift. Now they have a new focus. This is how we're going to get rid of them. This is, this is the optics that we need to... Isn't it funny how we have all these new... I don't know if that's new, but it seems like we have all this new vocabulary now. And that's new to me, optics. This is our new optics. This is, how we're going to, this is what we're going to tweet about. This is what we're going to be on, you know, posting on Facebook. This is in Instagram and there's others. This is, this is now our focus. We're going to oppose him fiercely every way we can. We're going to have people there. We're going to interrupt him. We're going to challenge him. We're going to try to make him look bad. We're going to change the hearts and minds of the people. Doesn't it sound like an election year? We're going to cross-examine him about many things. We're going to look for ways, chinks in his armor. And they were lying in wait. Catch this. They were lying in wait for him trap him. This is an ambush. Trap him in something he said. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. In these circumstances, that's how the Holman puts it, in this political atmosphere, in this set of circumstances, in this cultural climate, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. Doesn't that sound like the 21st century? It does to me. We love a good fight, don't we? Come on. Joe, I'm not a boxing fan. I'm not a boxing fan. I like Rocky. But six, 16, I think, is when I stopped watching Rocky. But, I, I'm not a, but there is something about, it's, it's like a, you know, we, we're repulsed and attracted at the same time. Go back to playground. Remember playground in the schoolyard? How naturally that circle forms around the two kids that are, you know, going at it? There's the tattletale that goes and grabs the teacher, the yard duty, but the rest of us just like grab around and go, oh yeah, and then we start, then we take a side and we start cheering on. This is public. This is playing out in public, this between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And this crowd of thousands come together because they want to see where this is going to go. And in the midst of these circumstances, I really believe this is significant. He began to say to his disciples first, I underlined that in my Bible to his disciples first. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Literally, it's the teaching of the Pharisees. This, this word guard has to do with the idea of, of bringing a ship to land. I thought, what? That's kind of strange. At first, I was, you know, like, okay, why Luke picked that word? But you know where my mind went? Was to the Italian cruise a few years ago. You guys remember the, the story? The, the, the Italian, or it was in Italy, maybe it was a giant cruise ship and the guy brought too close to land or something. Remember the images, it's laying on its side and all that? It's not a small thing to bring a giant ship from open waters where you have all the space you need into a dock where it's all tied up. He says, I want you to be on guard. I want you to think like you're piloting a big ship into the dock. Pay attention. Take care. Know your surroundings. Understand all the forces that are at play, the current, the wind, the, the distance. You with me? Luke picks this word on purpose in recording what Jesus said. He said, I want you to be on your guard. You've got to bring the ship to dock. So be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus, what is the feast or the yeast of the Pharisees? 
It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You've heard this before, I'm sure. It literally is the word used in that day for someone who was a stage actor. Someone who was a stage actor. It roots way back to Greek times. And where the word meant literally, the, instead of like today, you know, we dress the actor, we grow their beard out, or they gain weight, or they lose weight, whatever. You know, we try to get them into character, right? And they, ooh, we just, we get pulled in. In those days, they had masks that they wore. And if they're doing a, a happy part, they wore the happy mask, right? So it'd be like this, you know? Okay. What am I doing right now? You don't know, do you? <laughs> But they would put a happy mask on or they'd put a sad mask on. And the idea is what they really were internally had nothing to do, nothing in connection with what was being presented. He says the problem with the Pharisees, the yeast that's going to spread through everything they are and everything they do is hypocrisy. Let me remind you, disciples. Remember, he's not talking to the crowd of thousands. He's talking to his disciples. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, think about this. And I, and I picture Peter. I don't know why. I think I do know why. As he says these words, I picture Peter going, oh, crud. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark, yes, Peter, I heard what you said last night, will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in an ear, whatever you have intended to be controlled and just for that one person or persons in a private room will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, is he literally saying, if you whisper in my belly, God, that somebody's going to go up on the roof and proclaim it or puts it on, on Facebook? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you cannot keep hidden what God intends to be made known. You cannot keep hidden anything from God. Now, let's get uncomfortable for just a minute. All of us, to some extent, when we came in this morning, tried to control what other people heard and saw and experienced with us. That's what we do. How are you? I'm good. You know, and, there, and it, there's, a, there's a spectrum, right? Well, sometimes I come into church and, oh, you know, man, I'm really going through a tough time. That's good. That's, you have that. We all have those moments, too. But the reality is, by nature... We try to hide what we don't want other people to know. And not only do we do it to each other, but we also do it to... Sounds funny, to, it sounds foolish to say it out loud, doesn't it? But it's true, we do. We live, we act, we think, we dream, thinking that we can keep things hidden from God. I believe it's significant that he's talking to his disciples, and I want to make this point. He talks to his disciples first because... In the midst of all that is happening in his day, and I hope we can apply this to us, Jesus continues to move towards Matthew 28. He continues to move towards that. He continues to move towards the moment where he will tell his disciples, go make disciples. And make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want them to know who God is. And I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Because a life of discipleship is a life of obedience. It's a life of following. You're not calling people to believe in me. You're calling people to follow me. Go make disciples. And remember, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. 
There is nothing, nothing circumstantially, culturally, uh, events that can keep Jesus, distract Jesus from moving towards Matthew 28, where he looks his disciples in the eyes and he says, go, I'm returning to my Father's right hand, now go. That's important. I think one of the casualties that's happened in the last few months within the church is we've lost sight of that mission. And I'm not trying to beat us up because we've got lots going on, right? We've got lots we have to take care of. People are losing their jobs. People are losing their lives. Everything that we know has been, has been weakened. It's been, in some cases, shattered. Nothing feels like it was before. Nothing seems normal. Every day seems like a new, what do we do today? And what does it look like today? Who do I listen to? I got all the... And in the midst of that, I'm concerned that we've lost sight of the mission as to why we're here. Brothers and sisters, this is not why we're here. This building, this gathering, this amazing team that leads us in worship and, and, the, and the joy and the encouragement that comes from singing together, those are great things. This is the, but we've talked about this. This is, the, this is the halftime speech, if you will. This is the coach going, okay, 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 okay. That was a rough first half, Raiders. Because he would, yeah, that, I'm sure that's what he would say. That was a, sorry, Sam, Brad, others. That was John Burgess. Fans all of a sudden, that's. Oh my goodness, this really is, this is the end of time. This is the end times. This is the, the halftime. Okay, how did this week go? How did, oh man, I'm telling you, this week was crazy. There was all kinds of things that my life got turned upside down in the last couple of months. All right, all right, all right, all right. What's still true? What are we doing? Why are we here? Jesus, just in this little phrase, challenged me. Keep your eyes fixed on the mission. Fixed on Jesus. In the midst of a crazy mob, thousands of people, people are getting trampled. Jesus turns to his disciples, says, guys, 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 I got to warn you about something. I got to warn you about these, these teachers, these Pharisees. He has his eye fixed on the mission. Can I encourage us? I hope. Let's stay true to the mission that he's called us to do. It looks different. The details look different, but the mission has not changed. He's moving towards Matthew 28. I'm sorry, that was a side. Okay. But I think it's significant. Here, here's the point of these first opening verses. Don't, sorry guys, don't fear the truth. Embrace the light. Now here, here's, the, here's the key that the Pharisees missed and Jesus is trying to drill into his disciples. And Peter will finally get it in John 21. That moment with Jesus. It's the idea of grace. It's the idea of grace. You and I have to drink deeply at the well of grace every single day. Lamentations 3.22, his mercies, his goodness is new every morning. That sun comes up, Deuteronomy, or Isaiah tells us that the sun comes up, the covenant's intact. Right? You know what I'm talking about? If you can stop the sun from coming up and going down, then my covenant's done. That sun comes up, my covenant with you is intact. Jesus is here to show the world the grace of God. The grace of God. And the Pharisees have completely missed it, haven't they? 
They're trying to wash, we saw it last week, the outward, what people see, what you think of me, is what makes you right with God. And Jesus is pretty harsh, isn't he? It's clean the outside, but the inside's filthy. You ever felt like the outside looked the part and the inside you know was filthy? I have. You look in the mirror, you get dressed, you do your routine, you put your clothes on, there's no holes in them. You know, I don't have any lint on me. You know, hey, this is a good day. Clothes fit for now, <laughs> you know. There's a camera noticing who laughed at that. I'm good, right? And then in the quietness of my mind, my heart, I know what's going on in here and in here. There's some things that aren't right. God calls them filthy. Jesus says it's like you're a, you're a tomb. The outside's white, shiny marble, and inside there's rotting flesh. He spoke that to the Pharisees. He says, don't fear the truth. Embrace the light. And the light is the grace of God. The light is the life of Jesus Christ coming to give his life. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. I hope it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't because it doesn't. Is that scandalous? Yes, it's scandalous that my creator would take my place, this mess, get washed clean and reconciled to God because of what Jesus did. That's called grace. And if you are identifying more with the Pharisees, then you're still, try you're still trying to work. You're still trying to earn that. You're still trying to be good enough. Even the disciples are still stuck there because Jesus says, beware, I know how you've been raised in your life and what you've been taught. But I'm here to tell you that teaching, in fact, if you want to read more, you can look at Matthew 16 where Jesus addresses it. He specifically says the yeast is the teaching of the Pharisees. Chapter 16, verses 18 to 20. He says the yeast that I'm talking about, this hypocrisy, is their teaching. They teach that it's what you look like. It's the appearance that matters and the inside doesn't. And Jesus says, I'm here to tell you. The hypocrisy of that is it's based on the belief that you can somehow be good enough to earn favor with God, and you cannot. Think about it with me for a second. Here's the creator in human form talking to his disciple. I'm putting myself there, and I'm thinking, man, here's God. Why is he here? Because I can't be good enough to get to him. And so he came to us, and he's going to die for them, for us. And he did. Why? Because this hypocrisy, this false teaching that somehow you're better than those out there, you're better than your neighbor, somehow if you just get your act together, if you do the right thing, somehow God has to give you credit for that. And Jesus says, no, you get no credit for that. I'll give you grace. I love you. I'll forgive you. I'll show you mercy. Just grab a hold of that. Just meet me at the foot of the cross where I gave my life. Oh, this teaching disciples that these guys are teaching, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's hypocrisy. It's leaven. It's like yeast that's just going to spread through everything. It has spread through everything they do, everything that they are. But he says, I want you to not fear the truth. Because yes, you are broken. Yes, you are sinners. And everything can't be kept hidden. We could say it like this. Jesus is looking at them, and maybe he's looking at you and me this morning and saying, I know everything you're thinking. I know everything you've done. I know everything you want to do. I know what you want to do right now to certain people. I know how you want to respond to certain circumstances right now. And I love you. 
and I want to give you grace. Because you're never going to get there on your own. You're never going to get to me to be right with God on your own. But I'll give you grace. Embrace the light. Uh, First Peter, I'm not going to read them, but I have them in my notes. Let me give them to you. First Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. And I know, guys, we got slides. We're going to skip over them. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. This idea of hypocrisy. Peter addresses it. And I love that Peter addresses it. Don't you? Think about it. I'll die for you. I'll never, never run away. I'm your best friend. I'm in the inner three. John may be a little closer, but I'm in the inner three. You're not laughing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, it's not funny, maybe. And yet, he did what he did. Peter finally comes to the truth of grace in John 21. But he talks about it in his letter, his first letter, hypocrisy. If you go back to Luke 12, or if you're still there, verse 4, he says, I say to you, friends, again, he's having this moment that's kind of crazy. And I thought, well, life's kind of crazy right now, isn't it? In the midst of thousands of people trampling all over, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. And I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. You mean like this crowd right here? You mean these people trampling each other? You mean like the rumors going around about the Pharisees are trying to get you? Is that what you're talking about? You, the other day you said that, you know, we're going we're gonna to lose everything and to follow you. And it, don't fear those who can kill the body. Who rules Judea at this point? Who has the sword? Who? Rome. Those nice guys, yeah, I remember them. Rome, they're under the rule of Rome. He says, don't fear, though, let me pause again, sorry. Do you think the disciples had seen people killed by the Romans? Yes. Let me ask you this. Do you think they'd seen a crucifixion before? Yes. Yes. They had seen people nailed to, to, out on Golgotha as a regular occurrence. They'd seen the brutality. They'd seen the consequences of going against who was ruling their world at that point. They'd seen the consequences of going against the religious leaders. He says, I don't want you to fear any of that. Don't fear those who can kill the body and after that do nothing more. I will show you the one, pause, he's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm here to show you because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'll show you the one. He is. I will show you the one to fear. Fear him. And by the way, all these words for fear and afraid, whatever they're directed, is the same word in the Greek. I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. This is the one to make sure you're on the right side, that you're aligned with. Make sure you're good with him. Don't worry about the Romans. Don't worry about government. Don't worry about the consequences that people can do to you because all they can do is kill you. But he says there's one that will be present in that moment where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and there will be a separation of the goats and the sheep. It's interesting to me. Jesus is telling his disciples this truth in their living years. It sounds like a song, I think, from Mike and the Mechanics, in the living years. Sorry, rabbit trail, squirrel. While they're alive, while they're breathing. What does that mean? He means you've got to make a decision. You've got to live this now. 
There's a moment coming after this life where everyone will be separated and there is one who has the authority to do that. Wow. Is this heavy? They're in the middle of a riot of sorts, a crowd that's trampling each other, and he, and he just, he just, he knows everything. Come on, every time I read this, I go like, oh my goodness. I try not to think about that. Uh, to be straight up with you, I try not to think about it. God knows every thought that I ever have. Like, ah, I don't like that. And he lays it out again, and they get it, and he says, oh, I'm telling you, don't worry if somebody murders you or kills you or takes your life. You should be thinking about who it is that is going to determine your destiny forever. I'm so glad you came this morning. We're so encouraged. Let's close in prayer. It doesn't end there. No, go back to your Bible. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. But listen to the words of Jesus. You need to hear this. I need to hear this this morning. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? They're common. They don't have a lot of value. And yet, not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, Jesus says, let me direct it to you in God's relationship with you. This is God's heart. And this is how it plays out. The hairs on your head are all counted. Isn't that kind of funny? What is his point? Is it that God cares about hair? That he loves us less, Don, apparently, because we got less, you know? And he's, every day, he loves you and me a little bit more, a little less, a little less. It's getting easier for him to count, right? <laughs> is that what he's saying? No, he's saying there's such an intimate knowledge, awareness of God towards you. I cannot count the hairs on my head, or I could not count the hairs on Jeff's head. He wouldn't let me. You know, the little, we would... And in the office, sometimes we do the primate thing, you know, and we, no, we don't, we don't, we don't. There's a picture you want to forget. You know, I couldn't do it, and he wouldn't let me, but God says, I can like that. I already know him. I know every, how many hairs are there yesterday and what will be there tomorrow. He says, God knows you intimately. He cares about you. Don't be afraid. If you or I are a follower of Jesus, we got no business being afraid in any set of circumstances, whether it's physical, financial, societal. You put the, you, we have no business ever being afraid. Why? Because God knows you intimately. Everything about you, okay, hear this again, He knows everything you think, everything you dream, everything you want to do, and He loves you. And He wants to show you grace. Write down Romans 8, 35 to 39. Not going to go there because of time. But these are beautiful words that Paul shares. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So here's the point. Let me just give you this point, then I'll give you one more quickly and I'm done. Don't fear people. Trust God's plan. Don't fear people. Trust His plan. My life versus Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God tells that messed up bunch of people, 300 years of rebellion, and now they're slaves in a foreign country. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're good plans. They're plans to give you a future, to give you hope. Jesus says there's a day where everybody will be separated. And some will be separated from God into hell, he says. Others will be separated to an existence, a presence with God for eternity. That's his plan. He takes no pleasure in this. He takes pleasure in this. My plans for you are good. Embrace me by faith. Don't fear people. Trust God's plan. 
And the last verses here, just quickly, I say to you, let me build on this a little bit more. Again, the crowd's crazy, the scene is still going on. He's talking to these small group of disciples. I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, remember the circumstances? Remember the background noise? Remember the cultural moment that's happening? Get it? Sounds very much like us today, what we're doing. If you acknowledge me before men in this setting, before men in your world, in your culture, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. And I believe he's talking to the sheep and the goat moment. Now this one, Gene, he's mine. He professed me before people. He made disciples in 2020 when life was so upside down. And he professed that he was my disciple, that his faith was in me. Gene, come. You're one, of, you're one of me. You're one of ours. I will acknowledge you in that moment. Anyone who speaks or anyone who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God in that same moment. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Say what you want about me. But here's, the, here's the, the, the core truth. If you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, if you reject the Holy Spirit, what were they doing in that moment? Remember, Jesus let go of, his, of his, the power that he had as God, and he submitted to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was present from the moment he was conceived. Is that not true? Who conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary? The Holy Spirit did. Who led him into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit, who was it that gave him the power to heal, to raise the dead? Because he could have done it himself, but he laid that down and he willingly submitted to the Holy Spirit. He says, you reject that, you got nothing, you got no hope. You reject the power of God, really the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this perfect unity, you will not be forgiven, you have no other option. Whenever they bring you, this, okay, we're going to wrap this up. Worship team, come out. They're behind the curtain. Watch this. Like magic, if they can hear me. Don't miss this. Jesus is so focused on why we're here. Look at what he says to his disciples at the end of this little moment. He says, don't worry whenever they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers. Oh, see the crowd going right now? The Pharisees? The Romans? See what, you know, what you're experiencing? Don't let it bother you. Don't sweat it. Don't freak out. Don't worry, because you're going to be put on the spot before these different authorities, human authorities, and you don't need to worry about how to defend yourselves or what you should say for the Holy Spirit. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you go a different direction, you're on your own. You have no ability to be right with God. But when you profess Jesus, when you choose Him, the Holy Spirit moves in, and He said, guys... Disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you need to say. Now, some of you, that's why you needed to be here this morning for that phrase right there. Because you're grappling, what does it look like for me to live, to speak in this moment? Stop worrying about that. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Make sure you see Him clearly, you're hearing His voice, and you live your life in the set of circumstances He's put you in. And He says, don't worry. You're more valuable than sparrows. I know everything about you. I know your weaknesses. I know your stutter. I know you're, you're, you, you, you crack under pressure. I, get, I know you. I get it. Just make disciples. The Holy Spirit will be there. and He'll give you everything you need for that moment. And then the next. And then the next. 
the next. Because I'll be with you until the very end of the age. Do we hear that? Can you hear me? Okay, can we hear that phrase? Can we hear what Jesus is saying? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you are with us right now in the midst of this. Oh, Jesus, we need to see you so clearly. We need to see you so clearly. Father, would you, would you calm our hearts? Would you calm our minds right now? We want to come before you. We want to come and worship you. We need your help to prepare us. We need your help to prepare us.